right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson officially out. He is uh, welcoming the birth of his uh, first child into the world uh, at some point. I don't know if it's happened or not already, but uh, so keep Jer- keep uh, Derek in your thoughts uh, and his family as hopefully they have a, a safe and happy uh, experience with uh, the birth of their first child. So he's going to be out for a little bit. So I'll be carrying you here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and uh, it's a busy week, action-packed week, lots going on, lots to talk about, and uh, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, as always. Going to get into some fun with numbers here in a moment with KU Basketball. Coming up later on in the show, we're going to be joined at 340 by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. KU Football, ranked to finish the 2023-24 season. We'll get into that a little bit more. And also, the Jayhawks landed a commitment in the transfer portal. That coming up in the 4 o'clock hour and uh, if you're, in case you were living under a rock, the college football playoff championship was last night. We'll talk a little about that. Kevin Flaherty of 247 Sports is going to join the show at 440. And in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to our KUTCU heroes and villains and also some post-game audio from the TCU game from Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams. That and more on this edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. Before we dive into the show, do want to give a quick little update locally here uh, from the city of Lawrence regarding uh, the, the inclement weather. The city of Lawrence has canceled all parks and recreation programming for the remainder of the day today, including all fitness classes, youth and adult sports, aquatic classes, nature, lifelong recreation, and other programming. Uh, they've also, let's see here, uh, the parks and recreation centers will close early at 5 p.m. today. So keep that in mind. And uh, all program all programming and scheduled hours of operation will return to normal tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow morning. On Wednesday, so a quick little update there from the city of Lawrence. So if you're out and about uh, in the snow today, just stay safe out there on the roads. And uh, if there's any more local updates, we can get you. We will throughout the show here today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right. So as I said off the top here, talking KU basketball, 83-81 victory over TCU at Allen Fieldhouse, 33rd consecutive conference opening win for Kansas. And how about a little uh, fun with numbers here? for KU football, or for KU basketball, excuse me. When you look at the net rating for some KU individual players, you'd be a little bit surprised. Uh, so this is broken down. You can break it down into individual players, uh, basically determine their their plus-minus net rating overall. And I think a lot of people would think, ah, oh, man, Hunter Dickinson, KJ, KJ, or Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCullough, those are probably your top two guys. It's actually KJ Adams. His net rating is plus 17.5. And uh, I think that just speaks to the versatility of KJ Adams. You know, I talked about it earlier in the week and last week too with with KJ Adams. It's just he's just a he's just a guy that can do whatever you ask him to do. It's it's pretty remarkable. You know, everything he can do. He's a glue guy. He's an energy guy. He he just kind of brings it all to the table. Uh, and he's obviously a fantastic athlete and and can really really elevate uh, the ceiling of this Kansas team. And and he had a great game against TCU. 18 points and 10 rebounds. 
in the game for KJ. Hunter Dickinson, number two on the team in net rating, plus 15.3. Makes sense. He's a scoring machine. He's virtually unstoppable. Uh, even in games where you feel like he's not dominating, you look at the scoreboard and he's got 22 points, 20 points, whatever it may be. Against TCU, he had 30 uh, to get another double-double as well. And I think he's certainly on National Player of the Year watch, as he should be. Uh, he's been, I think, you know, you, you rewind back to immediately after the Illinois exhibition. And I think a lot of people maybe kind of overreacted to that and thought, man, you know, this guy, uh, it's, he's not necessarily, uh, you know, it's just that the hype was so the hype was so great for Hunter Dickinson as he went through the transfer process and then committed to Kansas and in the offseason. Then you have the Illinois exhibition game where he still ended up scoring, I think, 18 points in that exhibition, but it was kind of a, uh, you know, man, I really expected him to just be a dominant player. And now he really has been, right? He really has been that guy for KU. Uh, he called himself clutch. And uh, listen, how can you deny that considering he just scored a game winner against TCU? So he's been he's been as advertised and uh, is really, really good. And then Kevin McCuller comes in at number three in net rating, plus 15 for Kevin McCuller, uh, which is shouldn't be surprising either considering the type of season that he's had so far for Kansas, shooting the ball with a lot of confidence from the perimeter, his three-point percentage way up, uh, his scoring ability way up, obviously. Uh, there was some there was some fun uh, analysis. It was actually Fran Fraschilla, I believe, on Twitter who did a little analysis on a specific play that KU has run uh, in the past for Ochai and then for Jalen, and now they're using it with Kevin McCuller as well, where he kind of comes off and is able to get to the get into the lane and score. Pretty pretty interesting analysis there, of, uh, and I think my takeaway from I mean uh, my takeaway from the anal- of, from that from the fact that hey you know this is a play that. First of all, KU goes back to when they've used with success with previous players. But the fact, but my takeaway from that is Kevin McCuller as kind of the trigger man for that player is the guy that's the number one option. I think says a lot about not only his confidence but also maybe the coaching staff's confidence in him to be that guy. And he really has been uh, so far this season. He continues to be very, very impressive. Uh, and then number four on the net ratings for KU is actually Marco Jackson with plus ten point nine net rating. Now. I'd be curious to see what this number was before the TCU game because the TCU game, I think, was certainly not... Uh, I think the TCU game is certainly not one of his best games, right? Uh, and and that can be that's probably a little bit frustrating for KU fans because of the fact that coming off the Wichita State game, it was probably his best game, possibly, for KU. And he follows that up with the TCU game where it just wasn't, it just wasn't really quite clicking for him. And I think that mainly just speaks to the fact that Big 12 play, it's just different, man. It's just different. And I think it's one of those things where it's you can't really explain it. Like, if you're Kevin McCuller, if you're Dewan Harris, uh, if you're K.J. Adams, and you're in the locker room and, you know, you're, you're talking with the younger guys and, you know, hey, conference play is about to start. Hey, you know, and I'm sure all, I'm sure everything these guys, the young guys are hearing, El Marco and the other freshmen, I'm sure all everything these guys are hearing, and even Hunter Dickinson to an extent, even though, Hunter Dickinson is, is a veteran player at the Power 5 level, played in, in the Big Ten. But, you know, everything I'm sure everything these guys were hearing was, hey, Big 12 conference play is different. Big 12 is the best conference in America. Big 12, it's different. You know, the play, is, the play it's ele- everything's elevated. Everything's going to be tougher. And I, I think it's just one of those things where no matter how much you say that or how much you talk about it, I think you just kind of have to experience it, right? And part of that might be maybe you struggle a little bit. Right, and we kind of saw that in this game for KU against TCU, where at one point Bill Self yanked all of his freshmen off the floor and didn't and and didn't play any of them for for a little bit of time and rolled with Nick Timberlake 
as, as the guy out there, right? So I, I think that that's part of it, right? You just you just kind of have to experience it. And I think hopefully El Marco learned a little bit from the experience against CCU and and can be better going forward because it's uh, it's pretty clear that he is he's that fifth starter. He's the he's the best option for Kansas, but it's it's also clear that he's susceptible to having possibly bad games. So ten point nine. So that makes sense, right? Your first, your four of your five starters, right there: one, two, three, four. KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, Mockery Jackson. Now you may be, you may be wondering, oh, number five must be Dewan Harris, and he must be pretty. You know, Mockery Jackson's at plus ten point nine. I want Dewan Harris must be pretty close, right? And he must be number five. <clears throat> Wrong. Dewan Harris is actually KU's eighth best player in net rating. His net rating is mine is negative, negative three point four net rating for Dewan Harris. Now, sometimes I think analytics can be a little bit screwy with Dewan Harris because of the fact that really some of the some of the areas where he excels in the most is defense and you know kind of being that floor general running the point running the offense to where maybe the net rate then analytics will look at a guy and say wow this guy's playing this many minutes and he's and he's not you know producing a lot of counting stats so I, I take this with a little bit of a grain of salt but you know we we've kind of skirted around this idea of Dewan Harris I think definitely has not been as sharp in a majority of games this season as maybe you would you would hope him to be, especially on the defensive end. And and even more so, you know, you look at a game like this against CCU where I've talked about this before. I just the big thing with Dewan Harris is I really want to see him be the guy that's in control, be the guy that's kind of managing the game and, and controlling the tempo. You know, he's basically you're you're expecting him to be an extension of Bill Self on the floor. And in, in the game against TCU TCU was able to ramp up the pace, and KU never was really able to get any control on the tempo of the game. The game was played at a, at a pace that I think was more comfortable for TCU, and KU never really was able to kind of push back, push push back on that. Uh, and so that that to me falls a little bit on Dewan Harris uh, at times. So I don't know. I think it's pretty clear Dewan Harris has been not as great this season as maybe he has been previously, but at the same time. It hasn't negatively impacted KU, right? I mean, the Marquette game, their only loss was obviously the game where it affected them the most with Dewan Harris having a bad game. But and again, you look at the TCU box score, ten points for Dewan Harris, great, eight assists, fantastic, five turnovers. Ugh. You'd like that to be, you know, two or one if you're having eight assists. So I don't know, Dewan Harris is it's something to continue to monitor. Uh, and you know, I think the the discussion around. You know, any of these guys, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, the discussion around any of those guys is, well, they just have to figure it out, right? Because you're probably not going to have anybody off your bench that's really going to be able to jump up and and fill that sort of void if you have somebody who's in, who's in a slump. And I guess that is a little bit worrisome if you're KU. I mean, if Kevin McCuller does start, it does slump at some point, what's the solution What right for KU? I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see if that happens. But they're kind of just rolling with the guys that they've got, those, those five guys. Certainly, in terms of starters, I mean, you figure Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams are going to be playing 35 minutes a night in conference play. Hunter Dickinson probably going to be playing quite a bit as well. So, if those guys hit a lull or if they are struggling, it's just going to kind of be up to them to dig themselves out of it. The net, so number five, so you got the top four: KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, and Marker Jackson in net rating. I mentioned Dewan Harris is eighth on the team. Fifth on the team is actually Jamari McDowell with a plus oh. Point two net rating. Nick Timberlake at minus one. Johnny Furphy actually interesting enough at minus one point eight uh, net rating. So, and then uh, Dewan Harris down there uh, at with the eighth spot. In terms of the best lineups for Kansas, uh, makes a lot of sense. Their top two lineups have been 
Dewan, El Marco, Kevin, KJ, and Hunter. They're starting normal starting five. And Dewan, uh, Furphy, Kevin, KJ, and Hunter. Those have been their top two lineups. Uh, although the lineup with Dewan, Jamari, Kevin, Dewan, Jamari, Kevin, KJ, and Hunter has also been uh, a pretty solid lineup as well for KU. But uh, Dewan, Furphy, Kevin, KJ, Hunter is at plus 35.7 uh, net rating for that for that particular lineup in uh, 81 possessions together so far this season. That's 16 points better than the next than their starting lineup. Dewan, El Marco, Kevin, KJ, and Hunter, which is at plus 19.9. So there's a pretty significant gap there. And I think that makes sense. You know, Furphy, uh, for what everything that El Marco brings, Furphy, with his shooting ability and maybe a bit more of his size, I think it brings a little bit more in some areas as well. So kind of makes a little bit sense. Uh, Dewan Harris and Hunter Dickinson so far this season, by the way, 30-59 from three, over 50%, almost 51% from three for those two guys. Uh, and I think Dewan, I think regardless of what you think of Dewan should be shooting more or whatever, I think it's pretty clear that he is what he is at this point. He's going to be a guy that if he's left open, will shoot it and will shoot it at a very high rate, but not at a very high volume. And that's just that's just what it's going to be. With Hunter Dickinson, uh, obviously started the season shooting very well from three, hit a couple of big threes in the game against TCU. And I think he's going to be a guy that you can probably rely on to maybe make one to two per game. Uh, and he's been really, really good. Uh, it, it equates to, so they're 30-59, by the way, from three on the season. Those two guys combined, Hunter Dickinson and Dewan Harris. It equates to just 4.2 attempts per game thus far in the season, which basically begs the question of, should those guys be shooting him more? Uh, again, I think with Dewan Harris, I think he is what he is. I, I don't think he's. you can expect him to be shooting much more than what he already is. So he's just going to be a low-volume, high-efficiency shooter probably from three, and I think that's just going to be what he is. I don't expect him to really change. That seems to be what he's most comfortable with. Uh, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, if Bill Self continues to tell him to shoot more and he still is kind of doing what he's doing now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it takes. With Hunter, I think it's interesting because I do think with Hunter, there might be some games where maybe he feels it and will take a lot more and maybe some games where he won't. And I also think with Hunter, it could be kind of game plan based, right? Uh, if you're playing a team that has a more traditional center and you're going to be spending more time kind of on the block down low, maybe, or a traditional center that maybe isn't great movement, maybe that does lead to more threes for Hunter, but maybe, maybe not, right? If you're playing against a guy who's a little bit quicker. So I think it's kind of matchup based for Hunter, depending on how many more threes he might take uh, per game. And then uh, some other interesting notes here from uh, KU in terms of their shooting. Uh, when you look at kind of where they are best at at shooting, one area that I kind of wanted to highlight here is uh, the mid-range. And uh, in the mid-range, mid-range too, so inside the three-point line, but outside anywhere in the lane slash paint area, it's kind of hit or miss. Johnny Furphy is actually three for three from from the, the what they classify as mid-range too, so he's 100% for the year. Timberlake is two for three. And then when you look at the starters, Hunter is just a 51.4%. Kevin, 29.6%. Dewan, 28.6%. El Marco, 23.5%. KJ, just 12.5% uh, in what's classified as mid-range, too. So inside the three-point line, or out, but outside the uh, lane paint area. Which basically, I think, begs the question of, what's up with that? And if you're going to continue to struggle in that area, you know, it's not necessarily, I guess, I don't know, it's not necessarily bad to be not that great from mid-range because if you are able to get into the lane and get, to the rim as effectively as Kansas is with Hunter Dickinson, El Marco cutting uh, and driving, Kevin McCuller getting to the rim, KJ Adams with dunks uh, and things like that. 
maybe it's not so much a bad thing. Like, basically, if you are so good at getting to the rim, which KU, I think, has proven they are so far this season, maybe even if you are not very great from the mid-range, it doesn't really matter that much if you can be so effective getting to the rim. Uh, but it is, it is kind of a head-scratcher, right, that they're struggling in that area on offense. Uh, you know, and that's one thing that kind of jumps out to me there is with KJ, right? Like, there was all this discussion about is KJ Adams going to evolve and become maybe, you know, more of an outside threat, and that hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet, but it also hasn't hurt Kansas, right? He has still been as effective as ever, and, and really it's been even better, I think, than maybe what you possibly expected coming into the season, uh, even without adding that real aspect to his game because he's such he's really great at passing. His ball handling, I think, has clearly improved. And he's just really, really good at, at dunking, obviously, because of his athleticism. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that's a bit of an interesting interesting lens to look at from the, from the mid-range perspective, uh, which, again, basically lends it kind of the thought process of, okay, well, if you're very effective getting to twos, that's fine. And then with the three-point shooting for Kansas, it has dipped down a little bit, kind of coming back down a little bit. But uh, if you can shoot a lot of threes or if you can make threes at a relatively high percentage and be very, very effective at getting to the rim, maybe you don't necessarily need that mid-range aspect of your game. I mean, Kansas right now is still shooting 38% from three as a team. That's good for top 25 in the country. So, uh, you know, even if you are struggling in that mid-range area, if you shoot as a team 35, 36, 37, or in this case 38%, and you're very, very good at getting to the rim, maybe it's not such a big deal that you're not very good at uh, shooting the mid-range shots. I mean, uh, again, Furphy 100% on just three attempts. Timberlake, 67% on three attempts. Hunter, just 51%. Kevin, 29.6%. Dewan, 28.6%. El Marco, 23%. KJ, 12.5%. So, I don't know. Just just kind of an interesting little tidbit there on possibly for Kansas, maybe an area that they are struggling on offense in the mid-range area. So, who knows what that means going forward uh, for KU. That's a little bit of fun with numbers for Kansas here. Uh, on RCSD. Coming up in just about 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. Also going to get a transfer portal update on KU football coming up later on the 4 o'clock hour. Got to talk about the college football playoff title game. That's coming up later on in the show. Kevin Flaherty of 247 Sports is going to join the show at 440. And we'll also get to our KU TCU heroes and villains in the 5 o'clock hour. All that coming up here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. But the final AP poll came out overnight. Where's Kansas ranked? We'll talk about it next here on RCST. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Almost half past three here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. He is awaiting or possibly already has uh, welcomed the birth of his first child into the world. So uh, congratulations to Derek. And he's in our thoughts. Hopefully uh, everything with him goes well and uh, they have a safe and happy and healthy baby. So uh, he'll be out probably for the rest of this week and maybe a little bit of next week as well. So I'm Nick Springer here with you on RCST. Quick little local reminder here. Uh, as uh, with the snow and inclement weather here in Lawrence, the uh, Lawrence Parks and Recreation Commission has canceled all uh, everything for the rest of the day today. Uh, fitness classes, youth and adult sports, uh, nature and uh, other programming offered by the Parks and Recreation Department. Their Parks and, Re- Park Re- Parks and Recreation Centers uh, will c- also close early at 5 o'clock today. They'll go back to regular hours of operation tomorrow. So if you're in the Lawrence area and uh, going out and braving the snow, be safe out there on the roads. 
and uh, give yourself a little extra time, possibly if you're if you're uh, going anywhere. All right. So after the cultural national championship game last night, which we'll get into more later in the show, the AP poll came out late last night slash early this morning. And you'll find the Kansas Jayhawks in the top 25 of that poll. Kansas comes in at number 23 in the final AP poll, uh, which is pretty cool. So KU ranked to end the 2023-24 season. A really cool achievement. You know, it's one of those things where is it really that big of a deal uh, to be ranked? Uh, maybe not necessarily. Like, it, you know, not, you don't really get any anything from it. But in terms of notoriety, in terms of just kind of a – sort of a, a tangible benchmark of progress for the program. It is something that you can use just to say, okay, look at this, you know, ranked in the top 25 to end the season. So KU comes in at number 23 with a 9-4 record. And, you know, this is no more, this is no longer the KU of last season that started 5-0 and and was just a fun story. Lance Leipold and the Jayhawks, they are real. They are for real. They're here. And uh, newsflash, I don't think they're going anywhere either when you look at uh, what they're bringing back on their roster and everything. So, very, very exciting time for Kansas football as the uh, arrow continues to, to trend upwards for KU. And again, kind of a cool thing, kind of a cool little uh, just sort of a, a tip of the cap basically to KU that they're in the top 25 and sort of a, a way to tangibly be like, okay, progress is happening. KU is moving up in the world of college football. Pretty cool. Uh, and you would think that if they finish the season ranked in the top 25, I would assume that that has to mean that they have a pretty good chance then to be preseason top 25 for the start of the 2024-25 season. So that would also be pretty special, right, to see KU preseason uh, ranked as well. So postseason ranked here to end the season in 2023-24. And then this is kind of one of those things where another aspect of this that that I thought about is it seems, again, it seems maybe kind of silly, but maybe not that if you're you're ranked to end the season or if you're ranked in the preseason like KU hopes to be maybe in next season, that that helps out with recruiting in the transfer portal to say, hey, listen, we finished the season ranked in the top 25. You know, uh, there are only, you know, only 25 programs can say that because there's only 25 in the top 25. Newsflash. Uh, but, but yeah, listen, that, that I think that's got to help a little bit, I would think, in, in transfer portal recruiting and off-season recruiting and even recruiting, you know, high school kids as well on the recruiting trail. Uh, Michigan finishes number one in the final AP top 25 poll. No surprise there. The only, only undefeated team in the country. Washington, number two. Georgia ends up being number four with Texas number three. Uh, Oregon and Florida State tied for six. The other the other Big Twelve teams uh, that finished in the poll, Arizona finished number eleven at ten and three after their win over Oklahoma in their bowl games. Arizona at number eleven. Oklahoma State comes in at number sixteen, one spot behind Oklahoma. Even though they beat Oklahoma, they ended up being one spot behind them at sixteen. Uh, Kansas State at eighteen, and then Kansas at twenty three. So just three Big 12 teams ranked ahead of Kansas in the uh, final in the final AP poll. So uh, again, we talked about it. I mean, Kansas, I think, definitely is going to have a claim to be to say, hey, you know, we're one of the top two or three or four teams in Big 12 going into next season. Should be in position to possibly battle for a Big 12 title and more. So pretty cool stuff there. KU ranked to finish the 2023-24 season, uh, which kind of is sort of the the cherry on top of what. Ended up being a pretty special season for KU, even though they did. There was a lot of turmoil and a, and a lot of adversity that this program faced with their quarterback situation uh, and so on and so forth. And Andy Kolnicki departing the program before the bowl game, uh, but Kansas getting their first bowl win in 14 years. The this the incredible story arc of Jason Bean, 
and now capped off by this finishing preseason, finishing postseason in the top 25 for KU football. Pretty special stuff. Coming up here in just a few short minutes, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. Talk a little KU basketball, make it a little bit of football in with Matt as well. In the 4 o'clock hour, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the latest commitment out of the transfer portal for KU football. So they finished the season ranked in the top 25 and also got a big commitment as well earlier today that we'll get into in the 4 o'clock hour. Do want to talk a little bit more about that college football national championship game that happened last night. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show uh, coming up at 4.40. And also in the 5 o'clock hour, we've got some post-game audio from the KU-TCU game with Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams, as well as uh, our KU-TCU heroes and villains. Matt Tate joins the show next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out as he awaits possibly, or maybe that's already happened. I don't know, the birth of his uh, first child. So we hope for the best for uh, a safe and uh, healthy birth for Derek and his family. Uh, but uh, here on RCST, baby or no baby, the show goes on. And uh, on Tuesdays at this time, we are joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. Matt, uh, you staying warm out there? How are you doing? It's been a lovely day. Um, I was supposed to be en route to Orlando, but um, flights had another another plan. So I don't know if I'm going to make that one, and I'm fine if I don't leave the house for another couple days while all this <laughs> disappears. It's pretty to look at. It's not fun to be out there in it though. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll take the take the smart road and, and be totally fine with that. Otherwise, though. All good, man. It's warm in here. Yeah, I mean, listen, Orlando sounds pretty nice right now, but uh, you know, you don't want to risk. Uh, you got to get there. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to get there safely. Well, hey, be- uh, before that game against between KU and T- uh, UCF, the game again on Saturday at Allen Fieldhouse against TCU, uh, KU gets the win in, in a nail biter, eighty three, eighty one. Close game, obviously. Uh, I guess just what was kind of your biggest takeaway from that game and, and KU pulling it out for the thirty third consecutive, by the way, uh, conference opening win. Yeah, I'm. You know, obviously, you want to talk about the ending and and the controversy or or whatever word you want to use for that. Um, and and you know that's fine. I get it. I, I get it. Both sides. I think both both people, uh, TCU fan and KU fan, uh, have a legitimate argument and could be convincing in their arguments. But it was called the way it was called, and um, you have to live with it. Both sides. So I, I you know, I think that's part of it. Um, and it's too bad because it was a really good game. Um, both teams played very hard. Both teams played pretty well. It wasn't perfect. Kansas's defense lacked a little bit, but as Coach Self talked about after the game, a lot of that was, was on their offense, turning it over and giving up such easy buckets. Um, so, you know, you, you want to be a little bit light with your, your 
criticism of the defense there. I do think this is a team that needs to get better defensively, and I'm sure Self does too, He to get better in his mind. So um, that that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. But, you know, for me, as, as far as takeaways, I, I just look back at that TCU game, and, and I just continue to marvel at Hunter Dickinson, man. I mean, like, he's not the best defender. Everybody can see that. Everybody can agree to that. Everybody can admit that and, and just, you know, be cool, be cool saying that. Um, but that's not what he's here for. And, and, uh, he's here to get buckets and he does it with such ease and such efficiency. And he's, and he's obviously clutch and he delivered when it counted the most in that game. And he put up 30 points. I mean, the, the, the thing about it is, is it's very rare. Most teams don't have a guy like that who are you know, borderline automatic. He's going to have games where he, where he gets taken out a little bit or he doesn't shoot it as well or whatever the case is. But, man, when he's on, um, he can score in so many different ways. He's so crafty. He's so big that, that you know, it, it's, a, it's an absolute luxury and, and bonus and huge advantage for Kansas to have that guy. And so um, you live with whatever else he does or doesn't give you. Um, I, you know, I, I wrote a little bit this week, and it's up there today, leading the leading the site right now. Um, I wrote a little about that after the game on Saturday, and then I, I dove in a little more. Um, but but it's you know it's not unlike it was with Thomas Robinson back in his day. I mean, Thomas had moments where he could play some defense, and obviously there's a very very famous moment where he played some defense and, and and protected home court against the Tigers and, and all of that. But generally speaking, he saved his effort and, and everything he could give for the offensive end um, because that team needed him to do that. And he set the school record with 27 double-doubles that year. And Hunter's got nine double-doubles in 14 tries so far. And I think he's something like two points and seven rebounds away from being 14 for 14. So, you know, he's on a Thomas Robinson-type pace when it comes to points and rebounds, and and I, I think you take that. I think they were very happy with it when Thomas was here and, and with that team, and, and I think you would take it with this team, too. Um, you, you don't have to worry too much about the shortcomings or what he should be doing or could be doing because what he is doing is so phenomenal and, and so important, and obviously they're ranked number three in the country, and, and he's a huge part of that. So, there have been plenty of games where that's kind of been the key and, and he stood out, but this one really hammered home that point to me. Yeah, and you look at KU for the game, it was Hunter Dickinson, right? And then the other two guys that scored for, for KU were, were KJ Adams and Kevin McCall with 18 points and 16 points. You know, I think a lot of a lot of the conversation, at least early in the season, was KU's got their their four guys, right? With with Dewan Harris, KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCall, who and you know, that five through nine is the question mark. Well, Dewan Harris, he's had some up and down games this season, and I just wonder: is it more of a is it is it almost to the point where Dewan Harris is more in that category? I mean, he ends up with ten points in the game, hits a layup late, but five turnovers in the game. I guess, uh, kind of, what's what's your take on Dewan Harris and kind of where he's at right now so far this season? Yeah, I can't figure it out. Um, you know, he's not a different player than he was, right? I mean, he he's still a great point guard, and he's still the guy that as a sophomore in his second year playing anyway, led helped lead the team to a national title and was a huge part of that, that team. Um, so he's not, it's not like he forgot how to play. I, I, I think if anything, it's that teams have had longer opposing teams have had longer to study him longer to try to game plan ways to attack him longer to try to 
you know, figure out what makes him uncomfortable and what he doesn't like. And, and they're starting to reap the benefits of that a little bit. Um, that may be a simple way to look at it, but, but these coaches and these other players are trying to, you know, and, and they're trying really hard against Kansas. And so I don't think that it's just a simple matter of, well, the one sucks now. I mean, I, you see that on Twitter and a lot of people love to say that. And I, I think it's insane um, because of all the things that he does that affect winning and that keep the team on the rails and that, that you know, are, are just really, really subtle, really, really automatic, really, really easy plays because he's so experienced and so good that people don't even notice them. You know, I mean, you can't put a, a value on that. You can't, you can't overlook it either. So I think that what his struggles may be sort of attributed to right now is, is the fact that other teams are, are playing him tougher and making it harder for him. And so, yeah, you'd like to see him survive that and figure out a way to beat it and, and, you know, not turn it over five times or whatever. But it's also the first time in his Kansas career that he did turn it over five times in a game. And I think he's only had four in a game, like 10 times or something. We're talking like 120 games. Um, you live with that. It's it's sort of that same concept with Hunter. You know, you 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 take everything he gives you and you appreciate it and you're thankful for the contributions and the the, the high minutes and everything he can do to to help your team go, and, and you live with the rest. That doesn't mean you don't get after him. I mean, you know, there's there's no doubt. Self mentioned his turnover issues this year in the media a bunch, and, and so you know they're talking about it. You know he's on him about it. It's not like they're just ignoring it and acting like everything's okay. You know, they're trying to figure it out too. But, um, but, but I, yeah, I don't have the answer. I, I think that's the closest I can come to an answer, though, is that it, it has to be that, that maybe some of these other programs and other coaches are, are starting to close that gap a little bit because for, for a couple of years, man, he, he's looked – two, three steps ahead of everybody out there um, so much of the time. And and there are times he still looks that way and, and still really looks locked in and, and like he's, you know, the maestro controlling everything. But then there are other times like the other day where um, he, he's, you know, he's trying to, to make something happen that's not there maybe or, or whatever it is that's leading to those turnovers. Um Part of it has to do with the bench too. I think you know that, that when when the bench comes in right now, it's a significant drop off, and and so maybe that's creating prob- some of those problems too. So um, but again, these are first world problems, elite blue blood type problems, right? This is still a, a thirteen and one Kansas basketball team ranked number three in the country and and in great position. So um, easy to nitpick, and it, it makes sense to do it because it's it's. An important part of forecasting the rest of the season, but um, there are a lot of teams with a lot worse problems than how Hunter Dickinson and, and DeWan Harris are playing. That's for sure. Yeah, there was one sequence in the game against CCU that I, I thought was really interesting. It was uh, Bill Self at one point took all of his freshmen out, Jamari McDowell uh, and, and Marco Jackson and Johnny Perfect took them all out for a couple minutes. I, I that kind of piqued my interest. Right, it seemed like it was maybe there was something there with, with Bill trying to maybe send a message. I guess. When when we see something like that happen, do you think there was maybe some sort of message he was trying to send about you know maybe the level of Big Twelve play or kind of did did you did, that, did you pick up on that or kind of what what was your thoughts on that? Um, it, it, it was not all at once, right? It was like in a row. Yeah, yeah, it was like he yeah, it was like he took out on Marco. 
Jamari came in, and then Jamari double dribbled and came out immediately, and then Furphy came out immediately, and then they they all three sat for what felt like a you know basically for a few minutes in a row there. Right. Okay. That yeah. That, I was making sure I had you had your your right yeah. reference there, and and I, I think you know I, I don't know about message. I think it's just a matter of trying to win the game. Um, those guys are still lacking in that area. Um, El Marco included. I mean. You know, he played a really good game against Wichita State one week earlier, and, and there was some hope um, that, that maybe that was the springboard to some more consistency. But he's still a freshman, and he's still figuring it out. And with El Marco, and I'm going to write this, too, here maybe this week or next week, but but um, I've done some interviewing on it. I mean, I still think it comes back to this is a, a young dude playing basketball at this high level surrounded by guys who have done it for a lot longer than he's even thought about it and who have done it at the highest level. Um, when you talk about winning national titles and, and being all Americans and things like that. So it, it, it can't be easy for him and I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but it can't be easy for him to go out there and feel supremely confident and feel like he should assert himself when you, when you look around and you see Hunter Dickinson and Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams. I mean, I think it's human nature for, for any player, but especially a young guy playing college basketball for the first time to look at those guys and, and whether it's intentionally or subconsciously or whatever it is to just defer to them. Like, yeah, these, I'm going to let these guys do it because they know what they're doing and they've been doing it and you know, they've done it very well. And I'm just a rookie. Uh, you know, so I I don't want to make that, uh, an excuse or a crutch or anything that he can, you know, use as, well, this is why, but, but I think it's fair. I think it's human nature for that to be the case. And so uh, his challenge for me anyway, is, is to, to push past that mentally and, and to figure out the right way to assert himself while still, you know, making sure that those guys are the guys doing what they do. But, but those guys have been great with him. I mean, the veterans have been, have been so good with him and they're encouraging and they, they, they pump him up and they have confidence in him and they want more out of him. And so, you know, I I think it's, uh, I think they've been as good a teammates as you can be in that scenario. I I think it's just got to be up to him to, to, uh, to to find it and to to push past that, that feeling of, well, should I even be here? Um, You know, I I think he's getting there. I think it's close, but he's still got work to do there. And and then he's played a lot more minutes than Furphy or McDowell. And so maybe that same concept trickles down. I I mean, I think that's what, what I notice more than anything with all three of those guys is you just see looks of uncertainty on their faces. And you're just not used to seeing that from Kansas basketball players, um, largely because even the freshmen they've had who have been rookies and freshmen and young players and all of that, they've usually been high impact kind of guys with a lot of confidence that came in with some swagger. And, uh, you know, these, these three are, are not quite that yet and, and maybe haven't been that throughout their time. So it, it's, it's still a work in progress in that way. And, and, um, but anyway, that, that, that was a tangent a little bit, but I think, you know, a, answering your question, I, I don't know that it was a message. I think it was just him trying to win the game and, you know, you go in and, and, and if you double dribble immediately after going in to spell somebody, because maybe you're a better option, 
Yeah, you know the the coach in a tight game like that's going to go. Yeah, that, okay, never mind. That didn't work. That's not it. Um, and, and no disrespect, no knock, no anger, no frustration. Not 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 wanting to rip the kid apart, but just like can't have that again. So you sure. sit him, and it, it just kind of was one of those uh, strange cycles where that was happening re- repeatedly right there. So um, and and you know I, I thought I mean there were some things that that Nick Timberlake gave him. That, that he hit a huge shot, you know. I mean, it, it. He didn't look great most of that game, but he played fairly, fairly big minutes in that game. And and I think his veteran presence was a part of that. And then the one shot he did knock down the three pointer from the wing there, and you win a game by three, or sorry, you win a game by two, and and, and a guy hits any kind of three pointer. That's a pretty big shot, as it turned out. So yeah. you could see it in his reaction in that moment. He, he, you know, he had the, some of those same reactions against Yale. It was he's still pressing. He still so badly wants to find his way out of that slump that he's been in, and and every one of those shots it can only help. So I, I think his his age, experience, and just being a little bit more of a veteran probably played as much a part of that as anything. Switching gears real quick to to KU football. AP poll comes out uh, early this morning. KU football finishes the season ranked in the top 25 and number 23. I guess for you, how, how big of a deal is that, right? Like how significant is that for KU football to finish this season ranked in the top 25? I think it's huge. You know, I think like from the outside, it's probably just a whatever, no big deal. You know, nobody's going to send a banner or a trophy for that. But um, the two reasons I think it's huge is because number one, it continues or it allows them to continue to, to, tap into that momentum that they are very much feeling and riding and and you know if this weren't there would it would it have prevented them from riding that wave no i don't think so but this is just now the wave gets a little bigger and you ride a little higher and you ride a little farther and and you know you use everything at your disposal when you're in that situation so i i think it's huge in that regard and and then the other fact uh, of this is is I think they deserve to finish ranked, man. I think they were one of the 25 best teams in the country. I really do. And um, you look at their losses, uh, you know, they they lost to three teams that were ranked in the top 25 and could have beat all three of them. Um, maybe not Texas, I guess. That was that was a little bit of, of a lopsided game, not a blowout by any means. But, you know, they also lost their starting quarterback that morning. So you, you throw that one out with a little bit of a, well, stuff happens right but but i mean oklahoma state they had a chance to beat and we're winning in the fourth quarter k-state they had on the ropes and should have won that game um i just think that i think that kansas was one of the best teams in the country and and i think this is a cool a cool cherry on top for them so to speak of of, a wonderful season a great season the bowl game was great um you know they, they obviously felt really good at celebrating that and and finishing on a high note like that but this is now uh, the high note on top of the high note, sort of a harmony, I guess we'll call it. You know, they they uh, they get to finish and feel good one more time, thinking about what this nine and four season was about, and uh, and and I think that can propel them in in the smallest way. You know, it's still about the work and then the culture and the consistency and and putting in the time and doing it. But but all these little things are fuel for you know the reason they put that work in and why they want to keep going and pushing and. And and this is another one now. There's a new standard. They have to live up to this. And the only way you do that is by working. So 
I think it's hugely important, not because anybody's going to walk around going, yeah, well, look at this patch on my jacket. We were number 23. You know, that that's they don't sell foam fingers with 23 on them. You know, they, they sell those for number one. But but uh, but I do think that this is a thing that that will continue to drive these guys and the coaches can tap into that, too. I mean, it's it's a huge deal. Yeah, hopefully they can keep building on that going into next season. He is Matt Tate, R1S1 Sports. Matt, what do you got going on on R1S1Sports.com that uh, people can check out? Yeah, well, I mentioned the Hunter Dickinson thing. I think that's fun to read, and, and it's cool to see how he comps with, with Thomas Robinson. Um, fun one tomorrow, actually. I, I really wanted to do this in Phoenix. Didn't get a chance to because it was kind of chaotic after the game. Uh, but I finally caught up with Rich Miller and Kenny Logan this week. Uh, and if you don't know, those were the two guys responsible for the Gatorade bath that Lance Leipold got. So a little reflection, the cherry on top of the cherry on top of the cherry, we'll call that. But it was fun talking to those guys about uh, drenching their coach with the Gatorade, and and so that'll be up tomorrow morning uh, on the site. And then, of course, big week for the women's basketball team. The men play tomorrow as well. The women have number four Baylor coming in here. They could really, really use that one. Um, and then, uh, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm working on the El Marco thing. Don't know when that'll happen. But, um, yeah, basketball, man, that's that's the majority of it. But that that, uh, that Gatorade story is fun, and it, it'd be worth your time. It's short and sweet, but it, it, it was great talking to them about it. And, uh, you know, very cool that those two guys were the guys that, that, that got the – tip the cooler and 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 dump the Gatorade on Lance and I don't know if you remember the photos or seen it on video or whatever but it was blue Gatorade so there was there was a a very nice uh, poetic nature to the the fact that it wasn't purple or orange or yellow or anything like that it was it was blue and I don't know if that's by design or not they didn't know that I did ask but uh, <laughs> but they loved it and so cool story and you know th- those are the fun ones I like doing those. Great. Awesome. Well, Matt, once again, appreciate your time as always. Check him out at r1s1sports.com. Matt, thanks so much. All right, Nick. Thanks, man. Have a great week, and uh, good luck to Derek, and good luck to you without Derek. I, I, I have faith in both of you. I have faith in Derek as a father and you uh, flying solo without him because, yeah, you're you're not going to get much out of him once that <laughs> once that clicks. Uh, he's he's, he's going to be busy, trust me. <laughs> thanks. You might have more faith than I do, but thanks so much, Matt. Thanks. There you go. Take care, man. All right. That was Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We're going to talk more about KU football. They got a big recruit out of the transfer portal. That's coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320. KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Johnson is out. He'll be out for the rest of the week as he is uh, celebrating the birth of his uh, first child. So uh, thoughts with Derek and hopefully everything's safe and uh, healthy with his uh, with his family there. So he'll be out for the rest of the week a little bit. So I'll be carrying you here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk uh, through the rest of the week as Derek will be out. Just had a fun conversation with Matt Tate in case you missed that. You can check that out. Uh, later on tonight with the best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, did want to give a quick update locally here in Lawrence as uh, with the inclement weather and the snow, the Lawrence Parks and Recreation, uh, they have canceled all of their activities for the rest of the day today. And the Parks and Recreation Centers will close early today at 5 p.m. They are going to resume their regular scheduled hours of operation tomorrow 
Uh, so, but uh, for the rest of today, today everything is canceled for uh, for the uh, for the evening for today. So, uh, okay. Now I want to get into a little bit on the transfer portal with KU football. Earlier earlier in the day today, KU got a very significant commitment out of the transfer portal. Uh, that's pretty significant. So that is none other than uh, Shane Bumgardner. He is a center, and he was previously at Tiffin University in Ohio at D2. He won the Remington Award for the top center in D2, entered the transfer portal, had a couple other offers from Buffalo, Old Dominion, and Bowling Green. KU had him on a visit this past weekend, extended an offer to him, and today he committed to Kansas. And it's obviously a significant commitment because KU now with their offensive line situation, it's been shaken up quite a bit. You're, you're going to lose Mike Davitsky to graduation. Dominic Pooney is headed to the NFL. And then a couple of transfers out of the program really depleted the depth, especially on the interior of, of the O-line for Kansas, losing Armaje Reed-Adams, who ultimately committed to Texas A&M. And then Spencer Lavelle, who actually also today committed to Nevada. Uh, and so Kansas did have some holes to fill in the middle of the offensive line. and They've gone out and gotten Shane Bumgardner, a D2 transfer. And, you know, I think the initial reaction when you hear about a D2 transfer might be, okay, eh, a little questionable. But uh, then you look at what KU just did with a D2 transfer, Dominic Pooney, a guy who was a D2 transfer and now is headed to the NFL. So I think when you, when you consider the uh, – evaluation process of this KU staff and what they've done with a previous guy on the offensive line who is a transfer from the D2 level and now he's headed to the NFL. I think you got to feel pretty good. And obviously, this is a guy in Shane Bumgardner who was uh, the top center in D2 at Tiffin University, which, by the way, in case you're wondering if uh, if you needed to Google Tiffin University, uh, they're in Ohio, Tiffin, Ohio, uh, in case you're curious. So, uh, But, yeah, I think it would seem logical that Shane Bumgardner would become the Nowitzki replacement I'm a little bit curious, and we'll talk with Kevin Flaherty about this more later on this hour, about if it is safe to assume that Bumgartner is basically guaranteed to start in the fall. Uh, you know, coming from the D2 at the center position, is it is it a guarantee, basically? I, I would think probably KU internally is operating under the assumption that it is, because otherwise I don't think they would necessarily be going out and getting a commitment from a guy who they couldn't guarantee would be a starter, considering they do have... Uh, some question marks on the interior, as as I mentioned. So you want to make sure you can get a guy that that can be the starter. Uh, so I would I would assume so, but uh, we'll get Kevin sick on that later on in the hour. But uh, because if he is able to become the starter, that's very significant because now you've you filled one of your positions of need on the offensive line with a guy who's a starter. And it also what it allows you to do is with Michael Ford was a guy who it seemed like could play center. He was kind of the backup center for KU this season, but seems maybe more well equipped to be at the guard position. By bringing in Bumgarner, you can then have Ford stay at the guard position, and then you look at the you look at your guard spot. You have Ford and Kobe Baines was a guy who made some starts this season at guard for KU. You figure he would probably be in line to to start at that position, and then when you look at the tackles. You have Bryce Cable do back, and then you're going to have probably a battle at the tackle position uh, with Calvin Clements, the up and coming retro freshman from right here uh, in Lawrence, and Logan Brown, who's going to be coming who was coming off of an injury this past season, who was a very highly touted transfer from Wisconsin. So that. Bumgardner basically shores up your starting offensive line, right? Then you can kind of say, okay, here's our five guys. We think we're going to have Bumgardner in the middle, our two guards, Baines, uh, to Baines and Ford, and then on the outside of the tackles, you have Cable Do, and then either possibly Clements or Logan Brown, depending on who uh, who wins out uh, on that battle. So uh, a very very significant commitment for KU. 
And and again, I think when you when you consider the the success that KU just had with a D two transfer on the offensive line, you have to feel pretty good about the fact that you're bringing in a guy who was considered the top center in D two and now coming to Kansas, and you can check off a box uh, of kind of one of the big positions of need for KU. So uh, that that's a pretty big commitment for that the Jayhawks got earlier today. Uh, another area of need for Kansas that they continue to be pretty aggressive in is the defense on the defensive line. Another another area where KU did lose quite a bit off their D line. Uh, they were going after uh, Ryan Smith, a transfer from Duke, who ultimately decided to return to Duke. But they do have a couple other targets that they are keeping an eye on. Uh, one guy to keep an eye on is a transfer from NDSU who has some Kansas ties, Javier Derrett. Uh, he visited Kansas and visited and then visited Mizzou, Missouri and USC. Now Missouri just landed a defensive tackle transfer from Alabama so you wonder if maybe that would if they would that would maybe eliminate them from the running here for Derrett uh, so if it's KU versus USC maybe KU can can uh, you know play the local card a little bit and maybe that can help get Derrett into the program if you're wondering about the USC connection the head coach for NDSU took a position coach job at USC so that was that would probably be the appeal there for Derrett if you if you wanted to go to uh, to USC so KU still uh, keeping their options open and, and looking for opportunities in the transfer portal. And, and again, in terms of getting guys in in the spring, you really need to get them committed probably within the next you know couple days, maybe up to the next five or six days or so. You really need to get guys committed so that they can get enrolled for spring ball and can get on campus and be a part of the team in the spring. Otherwise, you're going to be looking at some summer additions. Derek and I talked about this yesterday. When you look at some of the guys that were specifically brought in over the summer, uh, as you know, you look at a guy like Lawrence McCaskill, who definitely took some time to warm up. You wonder if he was a player who had gotten into the program earlier, if he would have had a, more of an impact earlier in the season than he did for KU last season, back in 2023-23. Uh, so uh, it's pretty important. You think I would think that KU wants to get guys that they're looking for in the portal uh, right right away within the next week or so, basically to make sure that they can get in uh, for spring ball. So definitely, I, I think KU is probably making a pretty big push there. Uh, as I mentioned, Spencer Lavelle, who was one of the transfers for KU that did transfer out, uh, committed to Nevada. So when you look at the transfers out of the program for KU, uh, I don't believe Tanaka Scott has uh, actually committed anywhere, but you have Armaja Reed Adams, who committed to Texas A&M. Uh, you have Gage Keys, who went to Auburn, and Spencer Lavelle goes to Nevada. Those were kind of the more noteworthy transfers out of the program for KU. So Lavelle commits committed to Nevada earlier today. Uh, so KU still looking, I would think probably still looking on the offensive line, right? Probably not satisfied with uh, with the offensive line. I would think entirely, even with the commitment of Shane Bumgardner, probably not totally satisfied. So be keep. I would keep an eye out for probably more activity there for KU. But right now, it's clear that their biggest needs are in the trenches on both sides of the ball, uh, and they I think they definitely got a guy that hopefully can shore up uh, at the center position with Bumgardner. And on the D-line, still maybe looking for a guy that they think can, or maybe multiple guys that they think can help uh, shore up uh, with their depth on the D-line. Uh, how about a little bit of reckless speculation? Mr. Mello Dotson took to Twitter, a.k.a. X, uh, and tweeted had a mysterious tweet basically thanking KU and then subsequently deleted his entire Twitter account. Uh, so a little bit of reckless speculation there. What could that possibly mean? Unclear. As you know, me personally, I'm not a guy that likes to reckless, like recklessly speculate on uh, social media tweets. In fact, I actually really don't like it at all. Uh, it, it infuriates me. It infuriated me with Hopkins did it. It infuriated me with with, uh, 
when OBJ did it. I, I don't like to play these games, man. I like to play these social media games. But uh, if you are one that uh, is interested in that, uh, Melo Dotson is maybe one to keep an eye on. Uh, a little bit of reckless speculation with him seemingly deleting his entire Twitter account uh, after randomly tweeting uh, basically a thank you to Kansas. Uh, so a little bit, little bit interesting there. Uh, something, I guess, maybe that raises your eyebrows a little bit. Not really sure, though. Uh, might want to keep an eye on that. So the big commitment for the day for KU is Shane Baumgartner, the uh, the center from Tiffin University, D2 in Ohio. Uh, the Remington Award winner, the top center at the D2 level. Uh, had a couple other offers from a group of five schools, Buffalo, Old Dominion, Bowling Green. Chooses Kansas after a visit over the weekend. And, and again, I think uh, if you're Kansas, to me, I'm operating under the assumption of this is a guy that's going to be able to come in and start right away. He only has one year of eligibility left, so he's definitely looking to go and start somewhere, and I'm sure that was a big appeal for Kansas because Kansas has an opening at the center position. Uh, you think about KU supposedly trying to offer the Alabama center Spencer McLaughlin, and you know that was maybe uh, – I like the aggressiveness. I like the attitude from Kansas, but I think given the circumstances, he was probably going to end up going somewhere else, and he did end up going to Ohio State actually. So funnily enough, uh, but KU does get their center that they were targeting after McLaughlin, which is Bumgardner, uh, a D2 transfer from Tiffin. And again, the success that KU's had with recently with D2 guys, Dominic Pooney, obviously uh, it's a pretty big hit for Kansas, hopefully going forward. Uh, one other note, uh, recruiting wise for Kansas, the uh, number one player in the state of Kansas uh, Andrew Babiola is going to be visiting Kansas this weekend. Uh, he's been on campus a couple times. He's the number three tackle in the country, listed at 6'6", 275. Uh, could be a, a potentially huge commitment for KU. KU, of course, got Malachi Curvy uh, over the weekend. Uh, he, he was their second commit in the class of 2025 to go along with David McComb. And uh, Kansas continuing to work hard on the recruiting trail, both in the transfer portal and at the high school level. And uh, I think when you look at the needs for Kansas, both immediately in the transfer portal and you know possibly for the future going forward, offensive line becomes a pretty big area of need potentially for them. You know, I mean, you think about the fact that you have Calvin Clements, uh, a guy who you think is going to lock down one side of your tackle positions, and maybe two or three years you have Babiola on the other side. That sounds pretty good. But you know, I I I believe Cable do this would be his last season uh, of eligibility, and then you look at the interior. You have Michael Ford, you have Kobe Baines, but you don't necessarily have a ton of depth there. Obviously, you're bringing in Bumgarner, but he's a one-year guy, so you're probably going to need more offensive line depth as well. So that I think that continues to be a big need for Kansas, both immediately in the transfer portal and probably uh, going forward. They are bringing in some guys on the O-line uh, from this class of 2024 that I think could be pretty exciting. And then you look at the D-line, same thing. You've got some young guys in there, but probably need a couple guys to help as a bridge year. I mean, again, guys like Deshaun Warner and, and Dak Brinkley, very, very high expectations for them and and high hopes for them as impact players. But what can you really expect them from true? What can you really expect from them as true freshmen? Probably looking for a couple guys to be bridge guys. Obviously, you're losing Austin Booker. You do still have a guy like a Jeremy Robinson in there as well. Uh, so uh, you still feel pretty good about that. And then maybe the linebacker position also is an area where you feel like you might have some need for KU. I think if there's, you know, you can look at this inversely as well. What are the areas where you think KU is in very, very good shape? Defensive back room and the safety room, I think you feel really, really good about. You've got some really, really great young talent, and you've got some veteran guys that are there for next season as well. You even added a guy like a Devin Dye in the transfer portal, so you probably feel 
perfectly solid with those guys. You look at the offense, at the quarterback position, you probably feel pretty good. I know maybe some people are thinking, well, you could go out and get a guy, a transfer quarterback to be a backup. Listen, Cole Ballard looked really good when he had to play, and if he if he's good with taking over the backup job, I'm, I'm honestly okay with that. And then you look at a guy like Isaiah Marshall coming in as a true freshman. What could his impact be? I mean, could he be a guy that maybe has a chance to play as a true freshman? Who knows? And then obviously Jalen Daniels. And look at the running back position. Got to feel pretty good there too. You know, you have uh, Devin Neal, Daniel Hyshaw. Got, again, some young guys. Guys like Harry Stewart. Guys like Johnny Thompson. Red Martell coming into the program as well. And the wide receiver position is an interesting one where you feel great this year, but not necessarily you don't really have a ton of depth now beyond kind of your your top three guys uh, with with Skinner uh, and um, along with Wilson and Lawrence Arnold and Luke Grimm. You know, you have those guys and then you have like a Doug Emelian, but not a lot of young depth necessarily that you feel super confident about. So I, I don't know. I think maybe this year you wouldn't look for the wide receiver in the transfer portal unless it was a guy with multiple years. But going forward, that could be a position where maybe you start to think. But I think certainly the immediate needs for KU continue to be in the trenches, and that seems to be reflected in kind of who they're targeting. They get a commit from Shane Bumgartner uh, out of Tiffin University, the D2 top D2 center uh, in the country last season with one year of eligibility left coming to Kansas. That's a little bit of a transfer portal slash recruiting slash reckless speculation update on KU football. The national title game happened last night. Let's dive a little bit more into that coming up. And don't forget, here in about 20 minutes, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports is going to join the show as well. We've also got KU TCU Heroes and Villains coming up in the 5 o'clock hour and also some audio post-game from Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams after the win against TCU. That's all coming up right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I am Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out awaiting the uh, birth of his first child. So we keep Derek in our thoughts as hopefully everything goes safe and sound there. But uh, the show rolls on here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And uh, we are joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 247 Sports here. Uh, Kevin, how you doing? You you staying warm out there on on a day like today? I don't think anybody's staying warm out there, Nick. You know, even <laughs> even if you're inside, it's one of those things where you look outside and you you know you kind of get cold just from looking at it. So, uh, so I think everybody's trying to, but I, I'm not sure anybody's feeling you know super warm and toasty right now. Yeah, it's definitely pretty cold out there. But hey, based on the action and now on Fieldhouse, it was hot in there between KU and TCU on Saturday afternoon. KU ultimately gets the win, 83 to 81. Uh, I'm curious, though, in your eyes, kind of take, w- walking away from that game, did you come away maybe thinking TCU was a better team or maybe they, they just played a really good game against Kansas and Kansas was able, able to overcome that? You know, I, I think, you know, not necessarily that TCU was a better team. I, I thought Kansas made a lot of mistakes. And I, I think that, you know, coaches don't like to lose, but they do like it when they have something that they can come back to on, on tape and and have something to teach about. And Bill Self had, had a lot of that. When you look at a lot of the turnovers that Kansas had, I feel like we're, uh, we're fairly unforced, you know, just kind of being sloppy with the basketball. I did think uh, TC was maybe a little bit more aggressive uh, with the way that they jumped into passing lanes when Dewan Harris had the ball coming off of screens. And, and obviously you saw more turnovers from Harris than, than any of us are, are used to seeing. 
And then even beyond that, you know, you look at the number of times that Kansas got back cut or, you know, they had a, a pass that, that put somebody into a great position to, to get a shot. You know, you look at the elite defenses across the country, and one of the things that a lot of them do is they very seldom allow shots off the catch, you know, whether that's a layup, whether that's kicking the ball out to somebody for a jump shot or, or whatever, they do a pretty good job of making people put the ball on the floor because it, you're generally less efficient when you do that. And that was something that I don't think that Kansas did very well against TCU defensively was TCU was able to back cut for some layups and, and opportunities around the basket they were able to move off the ball and get some clean looks from the outside off of off of passes as well. And so I, I thought it was the sort of thing where the better team won, and yet at the same time, it was a situation where if Kansas had played a cleaner game in those respects, you know, it, it might have been a, a result where everybody wasn't breathing into a paper bag at the end. <laughs> Well, on the offensive end, Hunter Dickinson was dominant, 30 points in the game, ends up hitting the game winner as well. Uh, when you watch him play, I mean, is that is that level of play we saw against CC? was that something you think he can, can continue throughout the rest of conference play in, in the Big 12? I don't know about scoring 30 points a game. You know, that's, that, that's obviously, you know, unbelievable, <laughs> and I'm not even sure Wilt did that, you know, at Kansas. I think he I fell know, short hey, of that mark. You'd be surprised at, at some he, of the crazy, crazy stats that Wilt has. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I think Wilt was, like, just short of that. I think he was, like, 29 points a game or, or whatever. And keep in mind, you know, back then the way to defend KU was to basically put eight people on Wilt Chamberlain, <laughs> and there was no shot clock, so you'd also play really slow, and he still scored 29 a game. But at the same time, you know, not necessarily that Kansas can expect 30 points a game, but I do think the opportunities that that Dickinson was getting, it wasn't like an outlier game in terms of the kinds of shots and looks that that he should be able to get uh, on a regular basis. And I I think, you know, a a coach said to me once about when you scout big men, one of the things that you should look at is, does the guy have hands? Can he catch the ball? Are they strong hands? You know, and does he have feet? And if he can move and, you know, is agile and those different things, then you you can develop him and you can find, you know, something that that guy can do. I think Hunter Dickinson is off the charts in terms of both. Not necessarily when you think of a feet standpoint, it's not like he's the bounciest guy, but when you look at, at the agility, the footwork, the different things that he's able to do, particularly when he makes a tough catch, has the ball in his hands, the way that he's able able to maneuver, most teams just don't have a counter for that sort of guy. And I'm really interested to see him in Big 12 play, just given that in the Big 10, you have more centers like that, right? Like you have more guys that physically look like Hunter Dickinson that are used to going up against him. I'm not sure the Big 12 has as many guys that – that look like that. There are some teams in the conference that are going to roll out a six foot seven or six foot eight center, much the same way that Kansas did last year with KJ Adams. And so it could be the sort of thing where Hunter Dickinson gets into conference play and says, man, it's really nice not having to go up against guys as big as I am. Yeah. And he's obviously been outstanding so far this season, but you know, heading into really now the bulk of conference play for KU but what's maybe still your biggest question mark for Kansas in terms of maybe reaching their ceiling, which at this point would be you know Big 12 title and, and beyond? 
Everybody talks about the shooting, and I get it. And people talk about, you know, DeWan Harris's offensive aggressiveness, and I get that too. And they talk about the depth, and I get that as well. You know, Kansas obviously has four players who are who are really, really good. You count DeWan Harris in there, you know, with his experience and everything else. And then there are some question marks. But I think the biggest thing, and I've said this on this show several times, is I think for Kansas to go a long way and win a national title, which is which is something that this group is capable of, it has to start on the defensive end. You can't give up the cuts and things that they did against TCU. I think you know you saw Hunter Dickinson get pulled out of the middle with various actions a few times against TCU. He wasn't quite able to get back to where he was able to to defend the rim or, or be in rebounding position on some of those. Uh, it may be the sort of thing where you start to see Bill Self kind of tinker with his positioning, a similar way to what we saw Bill Self do when, you know, he looked at David, David McCormick's drops and kind of, Hey, how deep is he need to drop? Where does he need to be to be able to challenge things at the rim? And Kansas was worse defensively than they are now when Sell started messing with that, by the end of the year, the final month of that 2020-2021 season, Kansas had a top-10 defense. And I, I think that's where this group needs to get, not necessarily a top-10 defense, but being in probably an elite of the elite defense. And when you look at the defensive players that they have outside of Dickinson, you know, they should be turning people over more. They have guys who can defend multiple positions, who can switch, guys who can cool down a specific player if he gets hot. I think the way that this team goes a long way is the defense really, really needs to be there. And then that gives them the chance to score enough. And some of that possibly comes in transition after they get stops a lot like what happened with that 2022 team. Yeah, when you look at the Big 12 Conference in totality right now, I know it's obviously it's early, you know, one game in, two games in, but at this point, feels like it's a two horse race, right? KU and Houston. I mean, do you feel like there's any other teams that that can get in the mix there, or do you feel like there's kind of a gap between KU and Houston at this point? I do think that there's there's a gap, you know, between those two teams and the rest of the group. So there are teams that can be at that level for a game or two, but they almost all have question marks here and there. I I love the way Oklahoma plays right now, and I think that. You know, with JV and McCollum is in the game and directing traffic, the offense is better than it typically has been under Porter Mosier, and their defense is the best it has been since he's gotten there. When McCollum goes out of the game, whether that's resting, foul trouble, whatever, Oklahoma really struggles to score the ball. And even when McCollum is in the game, it's not necessarily a team that scores, you know, really naturally. And so there are some questions there. BYU, you know, is an experienced team. They shoot the ball really well. They've been a really good rebounding team this year, and then they go play Cincinnati, and Cincinnati, you know, was terrific on the glass and kind of out-tough them and everything. You know, Baylor has a lot of guys that are working together for the first time in their careers, and, and, you know, Baylor's a little hit or miss in terms of what they show on a night-to-night basis. And so I think when you add all of those different things together – Texas, I think, is the most natural team from a talent standpoint where you say, hey, if everything clicks, they could be right there. But Texas hasn't looked like that yet. Texas hasn't beaten a top 80 team in the country just yet. 
according to Ken Palm. And so when you look at that, yes, Dylan DeSue's back. He's not quite the Dylan DeSue that we saw, you know, to end last year yet. He's not, you know, a regular starter yet with that group. Max Asmus, you know, is still kind of figuring out how to handle all that stuff. Texas could be a team that goes in and wins the Big 12 tournament, but as of right now, they don't necessarily look like a team that's going to challenge for, for the Big 12 title, and, and Texas Tech showed that in going into Austin and leaving with a double-digit win. Switching over to football, yeah, the national championship last night, Michigan beats Washington. Uh, did that game kind of play out maybe how you thought it would? I mean, it felt like Michigan was just kind of like a boa constrictor, just slowly suffocating Washington, and Penix just couldn't make the right plays, I guess. Kind of what, what was your takeaways from Michigan uh, winning the national championship last night? Yeah, one, one of my coworkers, uh, Raymond Lucas, is a, a giant Washington fan, and he has been saying for weeks, even into the Texas game, that he thought Penix was kind of nursing an injury a little bit. And, and you know, obviously you look at, at what happened against Texas and you say, my gosh, if he was hurt, you know, doing what he did in that game – that's unbelievable, but I thought Michigan was able to get after him and hit him. You thought they would more than Texas, because while Texas is so good at the defensive tackle position, they weren't nearly as good on those edge spots as Michigan was, and and they were able to get after him a lot. I think they, I saw they pressured him on 20 different plays last night and hit him a whole bunch and all that. And by the end of the game, you know, it certainly looked like Penix was was hurt and was was nursing something, whether it was ribs or, or whatever it was. Offensively, you know, one of the things that I had thought all along was Michigan was maybe a little bit tougher matchup for Washington in that, you know, Texas was probably going to be able to run the ball, but would Steve Sarkeesian and that group stick with it as much as maybe they needed to? And quite frankly, if Jonathan Brooks hadn't blown out his ACL and was still there, maybe they would have been more inclined to stick with that, but you saw Michigan not go away from that. You know, Michigan was more than happy to to kind of turtle head this thing and, and run for 303 yards and and wind up, you know, grinding things down and, and winning that way. One of the best things I think you can say about this Michigan team, and I mean, they were good up front on both sides, that there are a lot of, of good things you can say about it, but they they were just sort of themselves, Nick. Like, they were more comfortable being Michigan than you were being whoever it was <laughs> that, that you were. They they were never going to change who they were going to be, and they played a very comfortable Michigan game last night in terms of running the ball, letting the defense set the tone, and, and not getting away from what they did well and, and not trying to do too much, and it, it led to you know obviously a, a pretty resounding win and a national title. Yeah, yeah, I think to your point, you know, you're right. I mean, people look at J.J. McCarthy and say, oh, well, he got carried. Well, I mean, who, who cares, right? He did what he needed to do yeah. and, uh, and, t- and took him to the national title. So uh, his, his national title ring still fits the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously after the game uh, this morning, you get the, the final AP poll, and uh, you notice uh, towards the bottom there, the Kansas Jayhawks on there at number 23 on the AP poll uh, to finish the season. I guess how significant is that to you that Kansas has finished this season ranked and I mean what do you think that means is it important is it not important kind of how significant how significant do you think that is I think it is significant because not only 
is Kansas ranked. Kansas is showing up in a lot of these way too early rankings, which of course there are about 8,000 iterations of those that are going to come out between now and the, the start of next season. But it's another thing that when this staff is going on the recruiting process, you know, going on the recruiting trail, they can point to it and say, Hey, we're, we're trending in the right direction. Look at this. We were ranked this year. And it's outside opinion, right? It's not Lance Leipold sitting across from a kid and being like, you know what? I really felt we were a top 25 team this year. No. The poll actually, you know, the voters actually came out and said Kansas was, was a top 25 team this year. And so it's another building block, another thing that you can say, hey, look, people are recognizing what we're doing at Kansas. And so when you go to recruit, when you go into, you know, talk to boosters about giving money for projects or different things like that, it's a tangible thing that you can show them and say, look, like this is the first time since 2007 that Kansas has been ranked. And if you're not going to give money, if you're not going to come join the program, you know, when, when were you ever going to do that? And so I do think that it's uh it's something that they can kind of put in that holster and go around and say, you know, hey, we we were a ranked team. We're not done yet. Big expectations and hopes for the future. But just so you know, you know, it, it wasn't it, – it's not the sort of thing where you, you go 4-8 and eight and you try and go into a recruit's house and say, well, that's better than we have been. And he says, well, it's, it's still 4-8. and eight. No, you, you've got a ranking up next to your name. Well, uh, speaking of, of the recruiting trail, KU did get a, a pretty big commitment today from uh, the top D2 center, uh, Shane Bumgardner from Tiffin University. He was, uh, won the award for the top D2 center. Uh, and obviously for Kansas, it's a big commitment considering you lose Nowitzki and, and you've got some uh, other transfers that left on the interior of the offensive line. I guess when you look at what KU did with Pony, obviously, as a D2 transfer, is it is it reasonable to assume that a guy like this, Bumgardner, can step in and, and become the starter basically right away for Kansas at the center position? Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think it was really smart of them to go out and get a player like this because not only do you have some interior guys go, but, you know, Michael Ford is a guy that started for you quite a bit on the interior, and he's maybe the guy on the current roster that makes the most sense to move into center. And, you know, you're not 100% sure how that's that would work out. And so you bring in somebody that is used to working at center. You've got tape on him at center. You know, he's he's got the size and, and all the things that, that you would want for a guy who's moving up, you know, in levels the way that, that he is. And so you're in a situation where I think he can come in and start and allow Ford to stick at guard. But if he doesn't, you know, you now have options. Whereas before, if you didn't take a transfer – you you didn't really have a whole lot of guys that you could look at and say, okay, I, I really hope that this guy pans out at that position. And so it, it was a really good get for him. Yeah, and you have to wonder if Kansas might be looking even to add more on the offensive line, right? I mean, you've now lost uh, three starters, basically, with uh, and then you, on top of that you lose uh, Spencer Lavelle, who was a, a depth guy. You have to wonder if maybe KU's not quite done there either. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see them take another guy there. I think they've got other needs. They're looking for a defensive tackle or two. I think, you know, everybody in the country right now is looking for a defensive tackle or two. It, it's one of those positions that's that's really, really hard to find guys in the portal and really, really hard to find a guy that's in the portal that's not going to get over-recruited because of the fact that everybody needs one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, he is Kevin Flaherty of 247 Sports. You can check out his work at 247sports.com. Kevin, uh, appreciate your time as always, and uh, stay as warm as you can out there, Kevin. Uh, thanks a lot, Nick. You too. All right, that was Kevin Flaherty of 247 Sports joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We're going to get to some KUTCU heroes and villains coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also have some audio from Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams we'll get to as well. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out for the time being. And uh, it's been a good show so far. Reminder, if you missed anything from our show today, including any of our previous interviews with uh, Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports or Kevin Flaherty of 247 Sports, you can check those out on the Best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts and also at uh, KUSports.com. A couple programming updates as well. There was a Hawk Talk scheduled for tonight uh, for Brandon Schneider. That has been canceled due to the inclement weather. So no Hawk Talk tonight. Uh, we are going to have KU men's basketball and women's basketball tomorrow night as the KU men. The coverage will begin at 4.30 right here on KLWN. So shorter RCST tomorrow with pregame coverage starting for the men and then tip off at 6. We'll have to switch over, though, to the coverage of the women here on KLWN at 6.15 as they tip off at 6.30. If you want the entirety of the KU men's coverage, you can hear that on our sister station on uh, 105.9 KISS. So... Uh, we do have some high school basketball on the docket for Friday, but uh, with some more possible inclement weather coming in, we'll keep you posted. Uh, Lawrence High taking on Mill Valley, but again, possibly uh, keep an eye on that one. We'll try to let you know throughout the week uh, in case there's any uh, changes there to that schedule. So uh, that's a look at kind of uh, coming up this weekend. For the weekend, more KU basketball for the men and the women, and we're also going to be airing Westwood One coverage of the NFL playoffs throughout the weekend. Bidding on Saturday night, you'll be able to hear parts of the uh, KU of the Chiefs game against Miami. Uh, we'll switch over to coverage of that after the conclusion of the KU women's game, which tips off uh, later in the evening on Saturday. And then we'll have all co- coverage all day long on Sunday of all the NFL playoff games uh, with Westwood One. So you'll be able to hear that here on KLWN. Uh, let's get to our KU basketball heroes and villains from the KU-TCU game uh, on Saturday. Uh, we'll start with the heroes on offense couple obvious choices here. I mean, you look at Hunter Dickinson, man. 30 points in the game. Game-winning shot. Uh, 13 of 20 from the floor. 2 of 3 from 3. He was outstanding, man. He was outstanding. So, uh, And on top of that, on the offense, 8 offensive rebounds as well for uh, Hunter Dickinson. So he's a, certainly an offensive hero. K.J. Adams, 7 of 8 from the floor. 18 points as well. He also had 6 offensive rebounds. And then uh, Dewan Harris did have eight assists. I know he's been kind of maligned a little bit for five turnovers in the game. Maybe he wasn't as sharp, but uh, still led the team in assists with eight. The next highest was Kevin McCuller with three. So uh, I think pretty clear choices there, right? Hunter Dickinson was dominant. K.J. Adams was explosive when KU needed him and, and did really, really well. Uh, and Kansas ultimately uh, was propelled by those two guys really to the win. When you look at KU, 30 points for Dickinson, 18 for K.J. Adams, 16 for Kevin McCuller. Uh, in the game, so really impressive stuff from those guys. But yeah, Hunter Dickinson's got to be, I mean, he was Superman. He was Superman. But the thing is, is like, I feel like K.J. Adams is better suited as Superman. So if K.J., if we're going to take Superman away from Hunter Dickinson and give Superman to, to K.J. Adams, what does Hunter Dickinson become? Because he's, ah, man, I mean, 
He's big, he's strong, tall, but so is KJ Adams. I don't know. Maybe they're both Superman. I don't know. I don't, or, you know, does, do you get Batman vibes from KJ Adams at all? Maybe. Mm, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. Uh, but certainly I think those two guys were uh, by far the offensive heroes. Uh, on defense, it was not a great defensive game for Kansas, as we kind of talked about throughout the show today. Uh, 81 points for TCU. TCU finished the game 8 of 21 from 3. That's almost 40%. TCU was good from the free throw line. They were they were good from the floor at forty six percent. I think maybe you could look to the uh, to the points in the paint. Possibly, KU was much better. The defense held TCU to just thirty points in the paint in the game. Uh, I talked about this yesterday with Derek on the fast break points. You know, TCU came into this game averaging nearly twenty five fast break points per game. They only get fourteen off of uh, off of KU in the game. So maybe that's in a weird way kind of the defensive hero for Kansas that you were able to kind of limit them a little bit uh, compared to what they normally get in, in fast break or in, or in transition. Uh, maybe that's the defensive hero. Defensive heroes in the paint, maybe, you know, you outscored them in the paint, did a good job of kind of limiting them in the paint because he didn't really force a lot of turnovers either. Just eight turnovers forced in the game by KU. Uh, just five steals for KU compared to 16 for TCU. So I don't know. Kind of tougher to choose a, a a hero on defense for Kansas uh, in this game, especially. Uh, what about the other heroes? Other heroes from the game. Uh, listen, low key the refs, man. The refs with the call for the flagrant. I mean, they. I, I thought Matt Tate did a good job of kind of explaining it. I think by the letter of the law, it did seem like it was the right call, right? I mean, elbow up high on a play. Uh, it just sucks that at the timing that it happened, you know, maybe there wasn't, maybe there wouldn't be as much gripe with the refs if that call happens, you know, with 10 minutes left in the game or with, you know, eight minutes left in the game or something like that. But uh, it's definitely worth mentioning here. Uh, how about this? Uh, they sent Jameer Nelson Sr. way up to the rafters, way up there. You know, you had first uh, with Klingon's dad, uh, Bill Klingon, who was upset uh, about sending, getting sent up to the rafters. And then uh, Jameer Nelson Sr. now gets sent. And now gets uh, got set way up to the rafters. So maybe uh, the visual of that, a little bit of a hero there. And then uh, I think really maybe just a, a hero is Allen Fieldhouse in general and the drama of high-intensity games. It, they, it just feels that much more different uh, for, for a game like that, right? This was a back-and-forth game, and Allen Fieldhouse adds to that. It adds to the drama. It adds to the theatrics of the whole thing and, and really kind of makes it, you know, it, and that's, you know, listen. Even though you're probably nervous, you're stressed about it, for a lot of sports fans, dude, that stuff is awesome, right? You love watching games where it's just an intense game on the court, the crowd is adding to it, it's back and forth, there's drama, you know, that kind of, it just, it kind of all encompasses that. I think Alan Fieldhouse adds to that as well, so kind of wanted to just throw that in there as maybe another little hero as well in the other category. Uh, you know, the crowd was great, the crowd was great as always, uh, I was I was there, it was a lot of fun, Um uh, Kansas fans certainly showed out, and uh, it was a, a good time. I'll be curious about Saturday with Oklahoma coming to town. Given the given the weather forecast, there's going to be more snow on Friday. Plus, you know, it's looking like the highs are going to be in the single digits possibly on Saturday. So we'll see what happens with that game. Uh, with some uh, now, let's go over to the villains. Some pretty easy villain choices, I think. Here, uh, Travion Tennyson's got to be a, a number one villain. You know, I know a lot of KU fans will say, oh, here's a guy who you know only scored double-digit points in three games this season, and now he's just lighting it up. 
It was a career game for him, but he ha- he did come into the game as a quality three-point shooter. Uh, obviously, he never got six for eight in the game, but uh, he did come into the game as a quality three-point shooter. He had a, a, a really great game, easy villain there. Uh, I guess you could throw Ernest in there for the for the flagrant foul committed, but Ernest did get a lot of cheers as well before the game, which I think was 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 pretty well deserved, right? I mean, I think at the very you know when you have a situation like this, no, I don't think anybody deserves to really be booed for transferring out if they come back. But uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It was, but it was easily ninety ten cheers to booze, maybe even more for Ernest. So I don't know. But I did kind of throw him in the in the villains category just for the flagrant foul, if nothing else, at the at the end of the game. And then uh, I wanted to shout out Jameer Nelson Jr. as well in, in the mid range. He he was 0 4 from three, but man, when he got into the mid range, he was really really good. Uh, Five of ten in the game for ten points. Uh, Emmanuel Miller also had 20 points in the game for TCU. And then I think oh, as an overarching villain, you could just say TCU TCU's uh, aggressiveness on defense, their hands getting the passing lanes. That was a pretty good villain as well. That really negatively impact negatively impacted Kansas uh but uh Kansas gets comes out on top 83 to 81 in that game against TCU uh coming up on tomorrow's show we'll talk more about KU UCF we'll dive a little bit deeper into that game as Kansas is in Orlando and boy uh wouldn't you want to be in Orlando right now if you're if you're in the Lawrence or in the Kansas area with all the snow we're dealing with but we'll dive more into that game on tomorrow's show uh, coming up, we're going to get to some audio from the TCU postgame from KU. Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams had a chance to talk with the media postgame after the win against TCU. We'll get to that uh, coming up on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.